but colonialism in its harshest forms is not only the exploitation of new weapons by new nations by old, of dark skins by light, or the subjugation of the poor by the rich. My nation was once a colony, and we know what colonialism means. The exploitation and subjugation of the weak by the powerful, of the many by the few, of the governed who have given no consent to be governed, whatever their continent, their class, or their color. Colonialism was harsh indeed. In the next few episodes, we are going to discuss the many colonial wars leading to the French and Indian War, and how they shaped the relationships between the cultures in North America for centuries to come. Welcome to the Historical USA podcast. If you are new or returning to the podcast, welcome. If you have not already, please subscribe to this podcast and help this video in the algorithm by giving it a thumbs up. Also click the bell to make sure that you are notified whenever I upload a new video or when we go live for History Hour. History Hour is a series that we do live here on Historical USA. We talk to your favorite history content creators, authors, and historians. Also, if you have anything to add to this episode, please comment below. I love hearing from you guys. So I want to say thank you to all of you who have supported the very early stages of this podcast, who have commented, who have reached out. It means so much to hear from you guys. I truly love hearing what you have to say and interacting with all of you. So I just want to say thank you so much. It has meant the world to me. As President Kennedy said, colonialism was a harsh, exploitative, and bloody period. North America was a war zone. As wars broke out in Europe, its effects could be felt in North America. Powerful empires like Spain, France, and England were vying for power, money, and dominance. And in this time of commanding conquer, people were exploited, used, abused, and bodies were left in its wake. In the last two episodes, we talked about important movements that will have a profound impact on the ideas and the culture of an emerging United States, the Enlightenment and the Great Awakening. I talked about how the colonists were dissatisfied with the king, dissatisfied with parliament, dissatisfied with their position in the British Empire. Towards the mid-18th century, the people of the American British colonies can see that they are being used and exploited by an aristocratic system of elites. What do I mean by this? Well, from as early as 1635 up to the French and Indian War, there is a multitude of violence and warfare plaguing the British colonies. To the powers that be in England and France, the wars fought in North America were nothing more than a campaign in a worldwide struggle for dominance. They were just another unimportant aspect of a larger struggle in Europe. And though that struggle played out in Canada, 
in the West Indies, in the Caribbean, and in the American frontier, it was the conflicts themselves in Europe that had more effect in determining the winner than the fighting in the territory itself. That meant that whatever the treaty signed in Paris or the treaty signed in Madrid, whatever boundary lines were moved and trade agreements were agreed upon, the colonists in North America had little say, if any, at all. What this did do, however, was it caused deep rivalries and prejudices between the English, the French, and their native allies. Usually, when we talk about the French and Indian War, we're talking about the conflict that happened in 1754. But there is a series of French and Indian Wars that take place beginning in the late 17th century up until what we now call the French and Indian War of the 1750s. In today's episode, we are going to discuss two of the first major conflicts between the English and the native people of Northeast America. We will see how a relationship built on peace, trade, and survival devolved into warfare, and how these two wars would play into a series of military campaigns between the English and French, and even at times, the Spanish. For us to understand these colonial wars, we must recognize and understand the complexities of the relationships between the Europeans and the native tribes. The fur trade in the 17th century was big money. And to be successful, it was important to have native allies to trade with. It's also important to understand the difference between the British setting up settlements and colonizing the East Coast and the French that were mostly single men fur traders, priests, and soldiers that required less acreage for training posts, missions, and forts. The French, unlike the British, were open-minded and willing to embrace native cultures and customs in ways that the British refused to do. The English were like a tidal wave to the natives. They were settling here with families, cultivating farms and plantations. They were thirsty for land, and unfortunately, at times, it didn't matter to the English how they got it. In the beginning, the British actually had a fairly stable relationship based on trading with many of the native tribes in the area. However, there was a great influx of migration to the British colonies in the 1630s, which put a huge strain on their relationship with the native peoples. In 1636, the Pequot War would be the first armed conflict between native tribes and English settlers. The Pequot Indians were a tribe that lived in the Connecticut River Valley. The Pequot sought control over Dutch trade, which mainly comprised of furs and wampum. By 1635, the Pequots had extended their control through a tributary confederacy of dozens of tribes created through coercion, warfare, diplomacy, and intermarriage. For a time, the Dutch and the Pequot shared control of trade in the area. But as the English began to encroach into Connecticut, native tribes that were resentful of their tributary status to the Pequot sought to make a trade agreement with the English, thus disrupting the Pequot's control on trade. As a result of fierce conflict and competition for control of trade, tribes rebelled against the Pequot, bringing tension to an all-time high. 
To add fuel to the fire, the Pequot slaughtered members of a Puritan trading expedition led by John Stone in the summer of 1634. Two years later, in July of 1636, another colonist, John Oldham, was killed by Manassas Indians of Block Island. The people of Massachusetts Bay Colony were concerned about the murders, so the government decided to intervene. Following the death of Oldham, Massachusetts arranged a mission led by Colonel John Endicott. Endicott was given the order to attack the Manassas, kill the men, and abduct the women and children. Following that, he was to move on to the Pequot and seize the warriors who murdered John Stone. The Manassas attacked the Puritans on the beach in what was the first recorded amphibious assault in the New World. However, the Manassas quickly fell back, and Endicott and his men established a camp on present-day Crescent Beach. Over the next few days, the Puritans burned Manassas villages and cornfields. From September 1636 to April 1637, the Pequot surrounded a British fort, Saybrook, for nearly a year. They attacked soldiers who ventured too far from the fort, destroyed British cornfields and cattle. The Pequot attempted to persuade the Narragansett to join them in the conflict, but the Narragansett instead sided with the British. So did the Mohegans and the Neantic tribes. In April 1637, the Pequot massacred nine men and women, prompting the colony of Connecticut to declare war on the Pequot. In May of 1637, the English and their allies attacked the Pequot village at Mystic, setting the village on fire and massacring hundreds of Pequot women, men, and children. On September 21st, 1638, the Puritans, Mohegans, and Narragansetts agreed to a treaty that officially ended the Pequot War. The Tripartite Treaty, or Treaty of Hartford, established peace between the Mohegans and Narragansetts. Any issues between the two tribes had to be taken to the Puritans to be resolved peacefully instead of through violence. The two tribes also agreed they would not aid any enemies of the Puritans, mostly the few Pequots that were still alive. As for the Pequots that were being held prisoner, around 200 of them, they were divided up and sold to the two tribes for wampum. We all know the story of the Mayflower, at least the cliff notes, right? The pilgrims and Indians came together in peace to enjoy a feast of partnership and friendship. And though at times the relationship between the pilgrims and the Indians was strained, they had a fairly stable partnership when it came to trade for many years. Massasoit, the sachem of the Wampanoag Nation, had kept the peace for a generation. However, near the end of Massasoit's life, the English settlers' population had grown at an exponential rate. The native peoples, though, did not. Their population had been decimated by disease, and as the English moved in, they were quickly losing tribal lands. And yes, many of the English were buying tribal lands legally, but there was also a tremendous amount of colonists that were illegally grabbing land from native territories. It was clear to the Wampanoag that the English settlers were growing more powerful as native population and power declined. Massasoit would die in 1661. His eldest son, Wamsuda, became the leader of the Poconoket tribe. 
Wamsuda was known also as Alexander by the English, and the new leader was committed to keeping peace just as his father, Massasoit, had. Wamsuda began building wealth for the Poconoket by selling tribal lands to colonists. The English, however, did not trust Wamsuda. They believed that he was conspiring with the neighboring Narganza tribe to attack the English. In 1662, the English accused Wamsuda of negotiating bad land deals. They summoned him to face the Plymouth court. Soon after he entered the colony, though, he became mysteriously ill and died. Wamsuda's brother, Metakomet, suspected that his brother had been poisoned by the English. Metakomet, also known as King Philip, became the leader of the Poconoket. Metakomet knew that as the English continued to migrate to America and expand their territory, he would one day have to defend it, saying, I am determined to live until I have no country. The tension between the Poconoka and the English was thick. In 1674, it would be the death of a Christian native man named John Sassaman that would lead to King Philip's war. Sassaman had converted to Christianity and decided to live among the English as an Englishman. One morning, they discovered his body in a pond under the ice. His death was thought of as nothing more than an accident. That was until another Christian native, Patuxen, accused three Poconoket members of murdering Sassaman. The three were found guilty of murder, and the English hanged them. With tension at an all-time high between the English and the Poconokets, some of Metakomet's warriors, believed to be teenagers, had killed some English cattle. The English responded by shooting one of the warriors, sparking a war that would last for over a year. King Philip's War was not a localized clash like the Pequot War of the 1630s, but a full-scale warfare involving most of the New England region and many of the indigenous tribes. A total war that made no distinction between warrior and civilian. Wampanoag warriors were joined by their allies, the Nipmuc and other smaller tribes in Connecticut. During the beginning of the war, King Philip and his warriors were successful in raiding English towns, killing hundreds of settlers, and ambushing English militia. One ambush became known as Bloody Brook and saw the killing of 76 colonists. In one instance, the English captured native women and children and sold them into slavery. The Wampanoag, too, began capturing English colonists. One colonist was a woman by the name of Mary Rowlandson. Rowlandson was a mother of three who survived the brutal attack on her village by Nipmuc warriors. After watching her younger daughter be killed, her home and village burned to the ground. She was captured and held prisoner during the war. She documented and wrote about her two months in captivity. Her account would become a best-selling book, describing her treatment in life among the Wampanoag. She wrote about how the English had burned many of the Wampanoag villages and crops, and because of this, the Wampanoag were forced to stay on the move during warfare. And as the war went on, Native warriors grew more tired and hungry. Fearing the Narragansett would join with Metakomet, the English decided to strike first. In December of 1675, the Massachusetts Bay Colony, Plymouth Colony, Rhode Island Colony, and the Connecticut Colony sent over a thousand militiamen to surprise attack the Narragansett 
winter encampment. Anywhere between 300 and 600 Narragansett men, women, and children were killed, as were many colonists. The Narragansett retaliated, killing many colonists and setting English settlements on fire for months. But the native tribes were unable to unite against the English, and other tribes like the Mohegans assisted the English against their rivals, the Poconoket and the Narragansett. Native people friendly to the English began teaching the colonists how to fight other native tribes, what guerrilla tactics they used, and how to prevent walking into an ambush. The English were becoming more adept to native warfare. By the summer of 1676, it was clear to the Poconoket that the English were too powerful. Many of King Philip's warriors went north and joined the Abnaki tribe. Others surrendered, and unfortunately, those that surrendered were either sold into slavery or executed. King Philip, however, would not go down without a fight. An English captain named Benjamin Church tracked Metacomet's men with the help of one of Metacomet's own warriors. Church encircled Metacomet and his men and wrote in his diary, quote, When Metacomet realized he was discovered, he ran within range of an Englishman and his native ally. They let him come fair within a shot, the Englishman's gun missing fire, but bid the Indian fire away, and he did so to purpose, sent one musket bullet through Metacomet's heart and another above two inches from it. He fell upon his face in the mud and water with his gun under him. In keeping with punitive tradition, Philip's body was drawn and quartered by the English, who then put his head on a stake and displayed it in the Plymouth colony for over 20 years. Metacomet's death would be the end of King Philip's war, but it would lead to more conflict with native peoples, and it would push more of the native peoples to ally themselves with the French, leading to a series that would be known as the French and Indian Wars. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Please don't forget to give this video a thumbs up if you are watching on YouTube. If not, please give me a follow on whichever podcast platform you are listening to. And to help this podcast grow, please share with a friend and follow me on social media.